Welcome to today's episode of The Workplace, the radio program about how to get into, get along, and get ahead at work, produced and presented by me, N.N.D. We're in the month of March, so as usual here on The Workplace, we're celebrating Women's History Month by featuring topics related to women and work. We begin this year's series with the first of a two-part episode featuring author Lady Colin Campbell. This year, 2021, the stars have lined up so that International Women's Day, the annual celebration of women and women's achievements on March the 8th, coincides with Commonwealth Day, the commemoration of the Commonwealth of Nations, which is observed the second Monday in March every year. So in today's episode, Lady C joins us to share some tips on navigating the publishing industry successfully as a woman. And in part two, we'll delve into her book, people of color and the royals. This year, the theme for International Women's Day is Choose to Challenge, and the Commonwealth Day theme is Delivering a Common Future, Connecting, Innovating, and Transforming. Find Lady Colin Campbell on Facebook. Lady C, welcome to the workplace. Tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I'm Jamaican, as everybody knows and can hear. I'm a writer and I've been in the public eye for better or worse for the last 50 something years. So <laughs> so you've published many books. So how many books have you published in all, would you say? Oh, I don't remember. About 12 or 13. I'm afraid I haven't counted. <laughs> Okay, but they mostly deal with the royals, but you deal with other subjects as well. Yes, my first published book was Guide to Being a Modern Lady, and it was suggested to me by a publisher. And I thought, oh, well, why not? I thought I was going to be lambasted. And in fact, I got really good reviews, including a half a page in The Guardian. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) And that was really the start of my writing career. And since then, I've done quite a lot of stuff on the royal family. It's a niche that I have fallen into as opposed to something I set out to do. So tell us what you're going to share with us today. I thought we could speak about navigating the shoals of being a woman in the publishing industry. I also thought, bearing in mind where we are in terms of time, such work as I have done in the context of the Commonwealth, past and present. And last but not least, my book, People of Colour and the Royals, which I found an absolute revelation when I was writing it. I was absolutely stunned by some of what I discovered. This show, The Workplace, the focus is all about work. So we are focusing on the work angles of all of those three areas you're going to cover. So what would be your recommendations for becoming a successful female author? Forget that you're a woman, number one. Remember, you're a human being, number two. And keep it as simple as possible and keep your integrity intact. If you don't know something, don't claim to know it. I think in certainly the royal world, there are an awful lot of writers who pretend to possess knowledge they do not. And sooner or later, they all get caught out. I'm not saying that people can't make genuine mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. But, you know, keep 
the BS factor to a minimum and have integrity and your work will stand the test of time, but it only stands the test of time if it is authentic. People actually hear the truth, Valerie, at least sensible people. And I actually have to tell you, it's been my experience that the average person is a lot more sensible than the cognoscenti and the intelligentsia give them credit for being. I will come on to, in a bit more detail, just now what you said about forget that you're a woman and focus on the fact that you're a human. We'll come to that in a bit. But I just want to focus a bit on the discipline of routine, research, and that kind of thing. How important are those in becoming a successful author? It's... 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. And anybody who's going to repose in their ivory tower, semi-recumbent on their sofa, waiting for inspiration, and then they're going to actually set about doing work, will end up being a failure. In fact, I have over the years discovered What's really interesting, when you're on a really good writing jag and when you're struggling, three weeks later, when you look back at the work, you can't tell the difference. So just, you know, I think one has to approach anything one does as if one is a secretary doing a job. And if you can't do it like that and you're being la-di-da about it all, you're going to be a nightmare to work with, number one. One needs to be cooperative. I have a reputation for being extremely cooperative with everybody I work with until they decide they're going to pull nonsense, at which point I'm also renowned for being a tigress. <laughs> and I think it's a very good tactic to deploy in life generally. Be as good as you can be whether you're being positive or needing to be negative. Interesting. So let's go back to that point you made about forget that you're a woman, concentrate on the fact that you're human. I want you to elaborate a bit on that and then tell us what differences, if any, you have noticed with regard to gender in the publishing industry. Anonymous anecdotes welcome. You know, we are in a post-gender world. It's not like in the 70s when people were fighting for their rights. It's all gone beyond that. And if you are going to be writing on any subject intelligently, you are not writing it from a feministic point of view. And if you are, you have started to limit yourself and you are therefore going to be antagonizing and alienating a segment of your readership. You are a human being. You're first of all a human being, then you're a woman. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't use the knowledge that you have as a woman to inform your subject. What I am saying is, you're not beating the feministic drum. And you need to remember that you are basically a conduit between the subject matter and your readership. And therefore, you need to be as neutral as possible. Keep your ego and yourself out of it, except when you are going to illuminate or enlighten, at which point then you bring your personal knowledge into it. But at all other times, you need to keep your ego and yourself out of it because you are interfering with the conveyance of information otherwise. And I can tell you, I can see 
when I read a book, how egotistical the author is. So that's in terms of the actual writing process. But that's one aspect of getting a book published. There's also the other dimension, which involves just dealing with the publishing house and all of the people there who you have to interact with and so on. And I think you can't deny that if the industry is very heavily male-dominated and a woman walks through the door with her manuscript wanting to get it published, perhaps there are some dynamics around that that oh, well, we, we, you, darling, we need some pointers or tips on how to navigate. That's the point at which you use your feminine words. <laughs> you know, you keep yourself strictly asexual while you're handling the literary aspect of it. And then you can kick in with flirtatiousness, etc., when you're trying to get your book published or when you're promoting it. I mean, everybody knows I'm a terrible flirt. I love flirting. And men like being flirted with. And as long as you're not being heavy duty and, you know, trying to use your feminine words to actually seduce in a serious sense, everybody likes a little bit of sort of greasing the wheels, so to speak. Oh, my dear. That's where your femininity, I think, can come into play. Also, Uh I think if you are a woman, it is important that you use your appearance in a positive way when you are promoting a book. You do not appear on television or indeed for an interview with a publisher looking like something the cat dragged in. Comb your hair, wear makeup, wear scent, look good. Everybody prefers polish to rubbish. So I think at that point is where your femininity should come into play. And of course, if you're a man, you should be doing the same thing in the reverse. Interesting. So you would say you've not noticed any significant difference with regard to how the different genders might be dealt with in the publishing industry. If someone turns up with a good manuscript, whether they're a man or a woman, you think they have equal success of getting the book published. Absolutely. And this, I think, has been true since the late 18th century, early 19th century. Because remember, we have had a significant number of successful female writers. And I think nobody in the publishing industry really cares what gender you are, as long as the product itself stands upon its own two feet. Okay. If you've eliminated gender as a potential barrier, then level with us. Tell us. It's mainly because of your royal connections you've been able to so successfully navigate the publishing industry, isn't it? Not really, because the very first book that I wrote was actually called The Substance and the Shadow. It was before I got married. It was Howard Kaminsky, who was the head of Warner Paperbacks, wanted to publish it. And I pulled the plug on it because he wanted me to incorporate my private life into it because it would make it more promotable because it was a work on philosophy. But since then, yes, uh, my social connections, which did not start with marrying my ex-husband, but started with the family into which I was born, 
And people need to remember that Jamaica in the 1950s, 1960s, into the 1970s was the premier winter colony in the world. If you think of the movie, The VIPs, the Elizabeth Taylor heroine simply says, I'm going to Jamaica. And everybody understood that Jamaica was the ending glamour in those days. Jamaica's developed a rather mixed reputation since the 70s, but prior to that, and so I was brought up in a world where you kept on meeting the most incredible people constantly. And that meant that I had very good connections long before I ever got married. And I, the very first royals I met, I met in Jamaica. But yes, my social connections and my royal connections have helped tremendously. They've made my life much richer in many ways but then I have utilized them. You know, there are, I would imagine thousands, if not tens of thousands of women who were in very similar situations to mine, who did not utilize their connections in as career enhancing a way as I did. Also, I have had something that many other people did not have. I had the courage of my convictions because my first Diana biography, I ran the risk of being ostracized socially. My family was furious, absolutely furious. And of course, then it turned out that everything was okay. I was not ostracized and the book became a howling success. But to an extent also, my bacon was saved by the fact that Andrew Morton then confirmed everything I had said. And it emerged that Angela Morton had been colluding with Diana, or to be more accurate, Diana had been colluding with Angela Morton. What people didn't know was that Diana had also been colluding with me. But I took the decision, so when Diana and I fell out, that I would publish the truth, because I also knew that she would get someone else to do it. And since I knew what was really going on and what the facts were and the danger that Diana posed to the Prince of Wales unfairly, had she fairly posed a danger, I would have been the first one to help her to plunge the knife in. But because she was actually being very unfair to him, I thought, no. But I took a calculated risk and... I could have lost what I suppose some people would regard as my social position. In fact, I didn't. It got enhanced at the end of the day. Well, that's fantastic. And you sort of preempted what I was going to ask about. What advice do you have for women who weren't born with gold spoons in their mouths to succeed in this field? But you said the courage of your convictions. So is there anything else you've learned along the way that would be beneficial regardless of status or even despite a lack of high status and connections as you have? In other words, what can mere mortals like us do? to really get as successful a career in the publishing industry as you? I think you need to end up having integrity because if you have integrity, you will develop a reputation for having integrity. If you have no integrity, you will end up having a reputation that begins with a four letter word starting with S and it has the same letters as the fix. 
and you do not want to end up having that sort of reputation because even if in the short term you have limited success, it is a recipe for disaster in the longer term. That's been my observation. I will use an example. Certain other people who spring to mind rather readily by being too much of a hustler and by being too much of a, it's all about me and I'm going to do what I want and I don't care what waves I ride and how much aggro I cause and who I harm in the process as long as I get what I want. That is a recipe for disaster ultimately in the longer term, in my view. Let's uh, look at work now in the context of the Commonwealth and Commonwealth Day. In general, this is a program about work. So I just want your reflections on work when you think about the Commonwealth and this observance of Commonwealth Day, which was formerly Empire Day. So there's lots to unpack there, if you know what I mean. When you think that unremunerated labor built empire and the structures that inform the work in present day and so on. So I'm curious as to your reflections on work in the context of the Commonwealth. Well, I think the Commonwealth is actually shaping up to be a wonderful institution that started out as a fairly interesting concept, which really is hopefully going to straddle the divide between empire with all of the mixed aspects of it into a more cohesive, cooperative and successful thing. Because, you know, we can't rewrite our history. We have to embrace and learn from our history and move on. And I think the Commonwealth of Nations is so far doing a very sterling job of moving on from a very, very mixed past into a far more positive present, which suits all of us. I mean, because, you know, if you stop to think of it, we have a shared history in many ways, both good and bad. And everybody in life also has a past that has both positive and negative. And if you're going to make anything of your life, you don't focus on the negative. You focus on the positive and try to convert the negative into a positive. And I think that is what the Commonwealth is generally aiming to achieve and is achieving. I think that it is not productive to try to rewrite history so that and, and try to exclude history because you disapprove of things that happened in the past. You are going to exclude them from the narrative. No, they're a valid part of history. What springs to mind is Daniel Barenboim, the great Israeli conductor. He was born in Argentina of a German family. He's Jewish, he's Israeli, and he's one of the top conductors in the world. And a few years ago in Israel, they were trying to ban the music of Richard Wagner because Wagner was a notorious anti-Semite. And Barenboim said, absolutely not. Wagner has composed some of the most wonderful music 
and we are going to continue to play Wagner. We are going to make a distinction between the man's talent and his output and his beliefs. And he, but for the courage and the common sense of Baron Boyle, Wagner would have been banned in Israel. And who would have profited from that? Nobody would have profited from that. All that matters is that if you listen to the overture to Die Meister Singer, you are transported because it is a God-given talent that has been unsurpassed. And I think that the, what the Commonwealth is trying to achieve is a version of what Baron Boyne has done. You take that which is good and you, you don't ignore that which was bad, but you leave it where it belongs. It's not relevant now. Nobody cares that Wagner was a ghastly Semite, except people who are crazed and, and have some stupid agenda pushing. I mean, the man was a musician, he was a great composer, and it's the music that counts. And what? we have, for instance, in the Commonwealth, we have a common language, English. That has been a great gift to the world. We also have, in some ways, similar cultures, parliamentary democracy, even if it's sometimes not implemented as effectively as it should be, and even when there is corruption. These are positives. We also, because we have a shared past, both good and bad, we have a link that we do not have with other people from other cultures. And these are all things to relish. And I think that the Commonwealth is doing a sterling job of sorting out and moving forward with the positives. And I think we should continue to do it because it is to our benefit. It is to the benefit of all of us. And let's remember the British Empire is not the same as Britain today. Today, Britain is a multicultural society where Things that even 20, 40 years ago, and I'm not referring to color now, I'm referring to all different sorts of things, class, prospects. Britain has opened up in a way and moved on. So it's really not the same country that it was when it headed up the empire. And we need to be aware of that. It's just and Jamaica now is not the same as Jamaica was when I was a child or the way Jamaica was. 200 or 400 years ago. I mean, you know, and I'm not the same person I was 30 years ago. And you're not the same person you were 10 years ago. And we need to remember that and stick to the present and use the present wisely to have an enhanced future. And that's my take on the Commonwealth. I suppose it's easy to say that when you are on the side that benefited from the exploits and exploitation, all of the unremunerated labor. It's easy to take that view. But how are people who were not on that end, who were not on the receiving end of the benefits of the exploits of the past, how are they to adopt this attitude that you have just outlined for us? Well, I would say, first of all, that it is their ancestors and not they who we're speaking about because they weren't alive. They can't have been alive 200 and 400 years and 300 years ago. And, you know, what my ancestors were doing 
In fact, my ancestors partly were suffering very greatly in the Ottoman Empire 150 years ago and 200 years ago. And I'm not looking to make an excuse for the fact that we ended up having to flee the country and we actually got refuge in Jamaica. And I'm not trying to blame the Ottoman Empire for any failures of mine because it's not me that it was done to, it's my ancestors. And it's so it's, you know, when you start to look at things, they're usually a lot more layered and complex than they appear to be. Because who you might think was a beneficiary of something, their family might not even have been there at the time. That's number one. And number two, the fact of the matter is that if you're speaking about slavery, let's remember that the King of Benin and several of the other African kings and chieftains sent emissaries to parliament in the early 1830s to prevent the abolition of slavery because their economies were going to suffer. Let's remember who sold the Africans into slavery, the Africans. So it's not quite as simple and straightforward as, and, and also who's gonna compensate whom? You know, my grandmother's family, the Burks, were sent to Jamaica as slaves from Ireland by Cromwell. Cromwell sent a whole load of aristocrats and royalists to the West Indies as slaves. And I go, who's going to compensate me for that? I mean, I think it's very unproductive to try to get compensation in the present for something that happened in the past and nobody was alive at the time. I will tell you something. I have had one of the most difficult lives of anybody you will run across because I was born with a terrible birth defect and the whole thing was handled in the most appalling manner. And I have never tried to play the victim card and I have never tried to use that as an excuse for not performing the way I should. It is each of us has a duty to ourselves to do the best we can with what we have been given in the present. I'm not in favor of this constant victimhood. It doesn't profit anybody. That's okay, I have, to, I have to say to you, I agree with you that the whole situation is much more complex than is often discussed, but the issue of you know, systems were put in place that were meant to and did in fact have an impact for generations and on this point you said about someone in your of your ancestors being sent into slavery it wasn't chattel slavery an important point you were making about the commonwealth and the work of the commonwealth is this year the theme which i think they've taken from the commonwealth heads of government meeting is towards our common future so if you want to share any words on that as the theme, it, it certainly um, underscores what you were saying. Yes, I think the theme is a very positive and desirable thing. We must never in life, if you want to achieve, you use the present, the knowledge of the past, your, what you have in the present to arrive at a better future. And you cannot arrive at a better future if you have the burdens of the past on your back. 
You need to be free and free your energy and free yourself with knowledge to achieve something in the future. And I think that is the goal, that is the aim, and that is what needs to be done. We cannot, no matter how we rewrite our past, we can't change it. But we can, in the present, affect our future. And it is our choice and our attitude and what we do that will affect the future. And so we'll leave it there on uh, the theme for Commonwealth Day 2021, Delivering a Common Future. Lady Colin Campbell, thanks so much for being with us. And I look forward to talking with you in the next episode about people of color and the royals. Thank you. And that's it for today's episode of The Workplace, the radio program about how to get into, get along, and get ahead at work. Produced and presented by me, N.N.D. Today, to launch the Women's History Month 2021 series, I was speaking with author Lady Colin Campbell about successfully navigating the publishing industry as a woman. And in part two, we will discuss her book, People of Color and the Royals, in this auspicious year when International Women's Day and Commonwealth Day both fall on the same day. Please stay tuned to The Workplace and connect with me using hashtag WorkplaceNND. And thank you so much for listening. As always, it's been a pleasure being in your company. Till next time, keep finding new and better ways to keep working.